One of my good friends years ago, well, still a good friend, served for 40 years in one parish until his retirement a couple of years ago. And uh, even reading those 14 chapters, I'm thinking, well, if I had 40 years, we could really unpack everything that we just heard read. The Philippians reading and the Psalm um, and the Gospel. I want to, um, you, those of you that are intuitive will know this, that I, I, I'm trying to press on to the end, as was read from Philippians. And, um, and you too, uh, every one of you that is a faithful man or woman sitting out there, you consciously or unconsciously are pressing on to the end as well. Uh, the psalmist is talking about getting to the temple in Jerusalem and dwelling in the courts of the, of the Lord in the physical space that was once upon a time set apart for Israel. But the meaning of that psalm has been gathered up in all that has come after that psalm. And it's an indication, and this is why Paul describes it the way he does in Philippians. It's an indication of pressing on to the eternal temple, to the, to the eternal home, to the eternal courts of, of our God. And so it is that Jesus tells us how to get there. Now, it's hard to realize, and, and, and it's always humbling, uh, at least it is to me, to realize that some of these guys have been with him every day, more or less every day, for three years. And Jesus can say, you still don't know me. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> All right. So today and next Sunday and the following Sunday, God willing, we'll hear that same gospel. And we'll focus on Jesus saying that he is the way. And Jesus saying that he is the truth and Jesus saying that he is the life. The way, the truth, and the life are only found through him. No one, no one can come to the Father, but through him. I wonder if you have a memory like I do of ever getting lost. Anybody in the room ever get lost? Now with GPSs, I hate them, and I love them. I hate them because you don't learn anything. I mean, if your GPS fails, you might have gone somewhere 10 times, and now you're up the creek, and you don't have the proverbial paddle, right? But when they're working, they're wonderful. Many years ago now, <clears throat> when we had our first car that had a built-in um, GPS or a built-in destination system, or whatever they called it, I had driven the car for several maybe even more than a year, I'd driven it without recognizing that I could punch something into the screen and it would sort of work instead of my phone. Because I'd learned to use the phone. But so that meant I was like, mm. <laughs> So I dropped Cynthia off at our daughters and son-in-laws and where our grandchildren live in Boone. And I had a, a, a ministry responsibility in, in uh, near Roanoke, Virginia. 
And um, I'd made arrangements to drop Cynthia and then drive on to, to, uh, to this engagement. And I had offered to the rector there <clears throat> that I would take him and his wife out for dinner. And so the, the arrangement was I'd, I'd get to their home at 6.30 in the evening. And they lived at 117 York Street. Okay? And they were in a town that starts with a D and ends in Ville and uh, near Roanoke, uh, Virginia. So for the first time ever, I drove away from my daughter's house and I pulled over to the side and I tried to figure out how to do that thing. And of course, the moment it starts to think it knows what you're looking for, it starts giving you choices. And I saw the choice I wanted and I punched it and just as calm as you could be, I just did whatever she said, you know, from then on, just like Cynthia's tried to teach me. And I, whatever the lady in the GPS said, I did. And um, I got to uh, 117 York Street at about 6.25. And I went up to the door, and it wasn't my friend. <laughs> and I was completely discombobulated. And it, w it was dark by then. It must have been you know, after the, later in the year or early in the new year. And I called my friend and I said, I've just gone to your door and it's not your house. <laughs> of course, I was playing with him. And he said, well, where are you? I said, I'm at 117 York Street. He said, what town? I said, Danville, Virginia. He said, Danville? I live in Daleville. You're 90 miles away. So with a good deal of embarrassment, I probably illuminated the inside of the dark car with my blushing. I said, take your wife out to her favorite restaurant, I'll pay the bill. And I, I shamefacedly drove to, to Daleville. Okay, people get lost. Uh, we'll, maybe you have memories of it. I remember being trained as a Boy Scout back when Boy Scouts were boys. I, I remember being trained to read a map and to use a compass and to find my way. Um, but, you know, organizations get lost. People get lost and, and systems, organizations get lost. Um, I remember growing up with businesses that are gone. Um, I mean, early in our marriage, I don't know how we'd have lived without Sears. Right? But, you know, my father-in-law... Um, he, he, he had depended on one that was gone even when I was a young man. I can't remember, Western Union or some, was there something like that? Well, anyway, we can get lost. And there are, in spiritual terms, two ways to get lost, if I could put it this way, sim simplify it. Two ways to get lost. You can get lost because you're paying too little attention. That's what happened to me with the GPS. I, I didn't attend carefully that it said D-A-N, not D-A-L-E. So you can pay too little attention spiritually. You can presume on God and get lost. You can ignore God and get lost. You can deny God, as the psalmist says, the fool denies that there is a God. There are ways to be lost because you're just not given any attention. And there's another way to get lost, 
And that's the trap of very religious people. I talk to myself, I talk to you. And that is, we can get lost by getting too down in the weeds. And golfers, any golfers in here, you know what it's like to be in the fairway or to be in the weeds. Huh? We, we can be so focused on little things and specifics that we miss the totality of all that God is trying to say to us. And, and this was the problem, the great problem of the Pharisee and the scribe. They were so focused on the details, they were missing God. They were very religious people. They were very religious people. So we, we, can, we can be lost either way. We can be given too little attention to God, or we can be lost in the detail. All right? Now, Jesus is trying to say to us in this gospel, and we've heard it in the epistle, and we've heard it in the psalm. Jesus wants us to make our way home. Our home is not on this earth. This is not our home. Our home is in the eternal courts of God. And Jesus wants us to be there. He wants his people to come home. And, and therefore, what he's saying to his apostles near the end of his life on this earth is there's only one way that's going to happen. And that is as you follow me. Because I'm the way. I'm the way home. And you can't, you can't allow yourself to get trapped in things that are not true because the only, the only reality in that home is truth. Falsehood does not come in. And I'm the truth. And this world will try to talk you into all kinds of things that make you think that life is only here, and it's not. The real life that all the good things of this life have begun to give you hints of are only there when you come home, when you come home. So finding our way home. Now, my experience of a lifetime is the hardest thing for lost people to face is that they're lost. The hardest thing for people that are lost to face is that they are lost. They're not going home. They're not on the right road. They're not grounded in the right truth. They're not living the right life. And, and you find that in two ways. You find that in the people that are adamantly living contrary to all that God wants and are like, stick it in your eye if you say anything about it. And then there are those who think of themselves as so righteous that of course they're going home. And all the New Testament reveals that that pharisaical religious righteousness will get no one home, even though they think they're going home. So either side, the most profligate sinner or the most down-in-the-weeds religious person has a terribly difficult time to face that they're lost. Now, my experience is for what it's worth, both personally and with, with all those that I've known. Um, unless something happens, unless something really breaks in, unless there is a 
crisis, unless there is a, a disaster, unless there is a ever-increasing loneliness at night, uh, unless, unless something has gone really wrong, unless there is this, did my life have any purpose? Is there any meaning? Unless something in that realm of things begins to happen, it's very difficult to even face that you're lost. But once a person faces that, then the question becomes, well, how do I get home? How do I get home? How do, how do, I, how do I make the course correction? And the, 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 the initial and hardest step is I have to crucify my pride. I have to let my pride be broken. Very, very hard without God's help. Sometimes it's an external event. Somebody loses a job and it leads them to God. Someone is abandoned by a spouse and in their pain, they, they come home to God. Sometimes it is a, it just a, a life-threatening illness. I have a friend now that I didn't have a year ago who was given a death sentence and told to prepare uh, to be dead in three months at 62. I know him, and he's now 85. And over the next few months, he struggled and struggled and struggled, and at some point in those months, he cried out to God and said, if you have a purpose for my life and you spare it, spare me, you have it. Whatever it is, wherever it leads, whatever it costs, if you have a purpose for my life and spare my life, I will serve you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And God granted him a healing. That doesn't always happen. But sometimes a serious confrontation with imminent death leads someone to take the step of surrender. I'm not God. I'm not in charge. I can't control my destiny. I can't control my family. I can't control my business. I can't control my health. Those moments are moments of prideful crucifixion. And then asking for help. Thomas, uh, today, you gotta love Thomas. I really do like Thomas. Uh, Lord, we don't know the way. How can we know? And Jesus says, well, the way is standing in front of you. The way is standing in front of you, Thomas. So when a person realizes they're lost and when a person decides to ask for help, then the question is, who's going to lead you home? Now, there are all kind of voices that will try to deceive you at that moment. Um, there's, there's all kind of voices. Um, and so it's critical that those of us who have had the mysterious privilege of God to know what Jesus said in that moment for all time. He said, I'm the only voice if you want to go home. The one standing before you, Thomas, is the way home. Now, the, the, the awesomeness of what Jesus says here, 
and he says many other things that, that lead to the church in time capturing all that Jesus taught and all that the Holy Scriptures teach, uh, capturing it in a form which we call the Trinity. We use that word, even though that word itself is not in the, in the Scriptures. We use that word itself to capture the truth that Jesus teaches. And that is that he and the Father are one. You can't, you can't deal with God and not deal with Jesus. You can't deal with Jesus and not be dealing with God. And the Lord will go on to teach us the same is true of the Holy Spirit. You cannot, you cannot have one as though there are three. There are three in one, which is a great mystery. But here we are. Jesus is taking on his lips the name of God. In the Hebrew texts and in the Hebrew experience, in the revelation that God gave to Moses on the mountain, God gave Moses a name that no faithful Jewish man or woman will ever utter. It was so sacred and so holy the Jews will not say this name. And the name translated into Greek is I am. I am. And here Jesus says I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now, in, 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 in the most direct sense, he is saying God is the way, God is the truth, God is the life. But he's also saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one will come to the Father but through me. It is a stupendous claim. It is, the, it is the most awesome, wondrous, transcendent claim. So what we have to remember is we're dealing with God when we're listening to what Jesus says. And what he's saying is if we follow where he leads, we are going to be in the hands of God forever. If we follow where he leads, we're going to belong to God forever. If we follow where he leads, we're going to dwell in the courts of heaven. Whatever wonder, whatever wonderful reality that will, will, will be. We will no longer be lost. We will no longer be confused. We will no longer be lonely or alone. We, we will have come home. Paul the Apostle in the letter to the Philippians um, gives us guidance. Every single person in the room, even you youngsters. I see, I see my friend Bradley 
He's back there. So Bradley's the youngest in the room. But even his mom and dad, quite a bit younger than most of us. All of us are pressing on if we are faithful people. And as I've said many times, I will say again, while we are alive, God has work for us to do. There are things that he needs us to do while we are alive. And all of them are to be found in recognizing that he is the way. And he is the truth. And he is the life. So little by little, no matter what age we are, we have to bring him into the center of how we're living, of how we're thinking, of how we're walking, of how we're relating, of how we're building, of how we're serving. Because when we do that, we're finding our way home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.